You are you okay? No, I'm great. I'm full of food now. Yeah, what what what, what were you eating? These are spicy something. Uh, sweet and spicy uh, Trader Joe's pecans. Hmm. Delicious. Is it? I wonder if there's some type of like agreement they have. Trader Joe's being there, where they have to have the the phrase Trader Joe's in every single one of the products they sell. Well, they don't, but you kind of have to like. You're not a big Trader Joe's shopper, so I guess you don't you don't quite. Oh, get that's it. not true at all. That's the only food I have in my apartment right now. Well, no, you've uh, in the past you've uh, generally that's not your go-to. You, <laughs> well, you haven't my, been a big Safeway person. My go-to is just not shopping at all. But I don't know, like Trader Joe's, like when you like if Trader Joe's has an object, you kind of have to refer to it by that name because it's like their variety. It's it's very good. Like, not all of their products are good, but, like, if you say, like, Trader Joe's, like, some, I'm a big fan of samosas, uh, the Trader Joe's kind, not the actual kind. So, I would refer to that as Trader Joe's samosas, or Trader Joe's uh, tomato pesto pizza, which is delicious. I think, I think we mentioned both of those things last week, too. Yeah, what, what else is good at Trader Joe's? Oh, their uh, peanut butter stuffed pretzels are great, their olive oil potato chips, lots of, lots of good things. Hmm. This is what the people tune in for, right? Yes. No, no, they tune in for uh, Walgreens' nice uh, product recommendations. Yeah, I think they've been kind of not phasing out, but they've had other variations of their house brand. Well, no, no their their food products are called Delish. Right. Walgreens Delish. But no, but nice is still uh, very much in effect. Yeah, I don't, I don't approve of the alternative house name conventions. I think they really should just fully commit to nice. I mean, Trader Joe's gets to, or sorry, <laughs> not Trader Joe's. Like Target splits it up. Like they have up and up for all their um, other product for like their household stuff, and then Archer Farms uh, for everything else. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? You've never? Do you not shop at uh, Target? I do, but I, I don't really ever buy food at Target. I, oh man, one stop shopping. <laughs> I enjoy it. Um, but no, their their food they have uh, Archer Farms is their like house brand. It's the uh, um, what's Safeway's house brand? It's Lucerne and something else. Um, God, this is the most boring. <laughs> yeah, no, the, yeah. Hmm. No, uh, let's do a do over. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we'll cut we'll cut all this out. No, it's fine. It's the mir- miracle of editing. Yeah. Um. Yeah. That's it. So Trader Joe's spicy pecans, delicious. So okay, so you you had a request before we started uh, for me to explain. What was that? Wait, I'm huh? sorry, huh? What did I ask for? Uh, the uh, to an explanation of Deflate Gate. Oh, and yeah, I saw Russell. Sim- Wait, it's not Russell Simmons. Who's the who's the uh, <laughs> the Grantland guy? Well, so that was really confusing because at first I thought you were thinking of Russell Wilson. Wasn't well, Russell Simmons like of... a, a hip hop entrepreneur? Oh boy! So <laughs> I think you're thinking of Bill Simmons, who is the editor in chief of ESPN's Grantline.com. Is is he still there? Did, didn't he get like suspended and fired for some BS nonsense reasons? Not fired. He was suspended for three weeks. Gotcha. So anyway, so apparently, uh, is it, I don't know much about football, but all I know is that the Cowboys are overrated and most people don't like them, and that the Patriots are cheaters. That's kind of all I know about football. So how does this play into that narrative? <laughs> well, 
So, okay, so what you're referring to with the Patriots being cheaters is there was a scandal around the 2007 Super Bowl uh, referred to as Spygate, where uh, the Patriots were accused of and eventually found guilty of videotaping defensive play call signals uh, for the Giants, who were the team they were playing in the Super Bowl. And that, at the time, was not explicitly illegal or, you know, against the rules of the NFL. It was sort of in a gray area, and it was made explicitly against the rules after that season. So, you know, Patriots fans will will point to that and say, well, it wasn't technically cheating. It was just more pushing the boundaries of what was acceptable. Um, but anyway, so that that's kind of given them a legacy of being known as cheaters, as you say. But haven't there been other things? No, that was really the big thing. Okay. So this last weekend, the Patriots played the Indianapolis Colts in the AFC title game, which, you know, for people like you who, who don't follow football, there are two conferences, AFC, NFC, and then the winners of each of those conferences go to the Super Bowl. So this last weekend was the championship games for each of the conferences. And the game between the Colts and the Patriots was in Foxborough which is where the Patriots play, and it was cold and rainy, just generally pretty bad conditions. And apparently, I, I didn't I didn't know this going be- before all this went down, but apparently a slightly deflated football is easier to grip and catch in those types of conditions. Um, and what I also didn't know prior to this whole thing happening was the NFL has a pretty strict policy around how footballs will ha- are handled during the game. So the way it works is each team has 12 footballs that they can use just for you know regular offensive purposes and then they have I think two or three footballs that they use specifically for kicking. Can you hold on. So the teams have separate footballs? Isn't there just one game football or like a, a... because during the game don't teams like, doesn't the ball change possession? How how does this become different footballs? Like, how does that matter? So whenever your team is... So each team brings 12 footballs. So put aside the kicking stuff. Um, just talking about, you know, offense, defense. So each team brings a dozen footballs. And when they're on offense, they use one of their 12 footballs that they've brought. So what happens if somebody pa- make uh, like throws or passes the ball, and I believe it's called being incomplete, or somebody else intercepts the ball, do they actually go and switch out a football? Yes. Why? That's just the way it goes. Okay. And, and so that's actually a good transition because uh, during the game, during the, the first half of the game, well, actually, actually, slightly, or a little bit more context first. So the, these 12 footballs brought by each team's uh, two hours before kickoff, the head official gets to inspect these, uh, well, two dozen footballs, a dozen on each side, and then they are the little little dot is put on each of the footballs, indicating that they've been signed off on by the referee. And from that point forward, the footballs do stay in the possession of each team, but they are not allowed to in any way tamper with them. And so during the first half of this game, the Colts picked off a pass by the the Tom Brady, who's the quarterback of the Patriots. And the the story goes that the 
defensive player on the Colts who picked off the football noticed that it felt weird. It just it felt deflated. And so he pointed it out to the Colts coach, who then pointed it out to their general manager, who then pointed it out to a league official. At what point in the game? This is during the first half. So for the uh, somebody watching the game on television, does any of this come to light? So Well, so that's interesting. So the game goes to halftime, and then at the start of the second half, um, prior to kickoff, there's a delay. There's about two or three minute delay where there appears to be some confusion about which football to bring out. And on the commentary, what they thought was happening was they thought that a non-kicking football, so remember there's these couple of footballs which are um, even more inflated than a regular football just for the purposes of kicking, they had thought that maybe those got switched out with a regular football. So on the, on the broadcast, that was what was cited as being the slight delay. But now we know in hindsight that what had happened was at halftime, given these complaints that were made by the Colts, some NFL official, official or the referees or someone went and inspected the Patriots' dozen footballs, and they found that 11 of the 12 were deflated below league rules. So there, there's like a range where the football's got to be, and 11 of these 12 footballs were below that range. And so in the second half, this is this actually just, just came out this evening. In the second half, the Patriots were were forced to use alternative footballs. So they had twelve new footballs that were then you know within the appropriate range. And so now it seems like that that mix up at the beginning of the second half was perhaps some confusion around making sure that these new footballs were being used and that the balls used in the uh, first half were no longer being used so how did the scoring of the game go did like the uh did the alleged cheaters have a big uh first two quarters no so they were only up 10 at the half that's, and then that they, seems pretty big in a football game it's it's you know it's not huge it's a touchdown it, it, and a half <laughs> yes good math is um, it isn't it seven yeah no i know so I'm, I'm not making fun of you i said good math no, again, but that's not accurate. But okay. Well, it's close. All right. Um, but then in the second half, the Patriots outscored the Colts 28 to nothing, and they ended up winning 45-7. So, you know, one could certainly make the argument that this did not materially impact the outcome of the game. But if it does come out that pr- after the pregame inspection, after these footballs had been signed off, that someone on the Patriot staff then intentionally deflated these balls. That would not be that would not be good. So currently they are set to play in the Super Bowl, correct? That's correct. So does this possibly jeopardize their chances, or is there a chance that they could be uh, not the team in their side playing? No. The worst thing that would happen is the Patriots would lose draft picks, future draft picks. Oh, okay. So you can you can cheat whenever. Okay, cool. So so cheat in the now, pay for it later. I got gotcha. you. I like it. It's a shame because it's, it's like this... it's, no, it's a Samsung thing. Ooh, hold on. So wait. So the the New New England Patriots are Samsung. Again, cheat now, steal designs now, and just worry about minor fines later. But but get what you need now. Uh, this is old no. generation Samsung stuff here. Okay. Wow. Well. 
Well done. Bill Belichick could be the uh, president of Samsung North America. <laughs> oh, man. Again, anyway, we have to bring this back to technology. We do. Um, anyway, the, the last thing to say about this is it's a shame that it's going to be such a big distraction between now and the Super Bowl because this really is shaping up to be one of the better Super Bowls in a long time, maybe even ever. What is the um, criteria for that? Just two really, really good teams who are extremely evenly matched. It just should be a really good game. Oh, uh, who's the other team? The Seattle Seahawks, unfortunately. Oh, is that one angry guy still in there? He is. Okay. And there was a different guy who was angry after this game. Okay. Who did something very, very similar. So I always thought everybody from Seattle was so mild-mannered. Uh, no. All right, it's all that coffee. <laughs> Apparently, Seattle's best. <laughs> is, is that what people think of when they think Seattle coffee? I didn't think I, so. I don't know. Uh, oh, they're all mad about their uh, Wii U's. That's from Washington, right? And Nintendo is based in Washington. Yeah, yeah they're based in uh, Redmond. Yeah, they're, they're, they're mad about their Wii U. Mm-hmm. They were underwhelmed, and they thought it should uh, control their TV with their voice. <laughs> is, that, is that what people are disappointed in with the Wii U? I think that's why Richard Sherman was so mad, if that's his name. Something like that. Don't you ever talk about me. That's what he says. <laughs> this is the worst program ever. <laughs> okay. No, again, we'll just we'll, we'll cut all this out. It'll be fine. All right, let's start over. Okay. Hey, how's it going? Big week. Huge week. Okay. Wow. Um, so right. much to so much to get to. You want to talk about football? Uh, let's let's talk about the Warriors. Uh, stellar, stellar. Um, uh, I really, do, I really don't want to talk about the Warriors. It's, it's upsetting how good they are. Yeah, I don't know. Why don't they deserve it? No, I, I, they deserve it. They're, I, I like their coach. I think they've got a lot of really good players. But they're just they're in the same division as the Lakers. So I, yeah, but that, that's contractually like, obligated to dislike them. I'm not sure that's the case. Well, that's absolutely the case. Okay. Um. All right. So I mean, what... it's it's like you. It's the equivalent of you taking a liking to the Diamondbacks, the Padres, or the Dodgers. Under no circumstances would you ever be happy for any of those three teams. But what if the um, the Giants suddenly were awful, and um, the only redeeming quality was a ball hug? That's just really... whatever, whatever baseball's equivalent would be. There a really ball isn't. Hug is. There really isn't the baseball equivalent for that. A mound hog or something. <laughs> Somebody who blocks the plate or showboats. Or... Well, that might that might just be our show title. What? <laughs> mound hog. Please don't. That makes no sense. <laughs> um, just, just just like the first fifteen minutes of the show. No, <laughs> the first fifteen minutes of the show are you trying to explain football? Oh, um. Man. Okay, so we, we, there's some technology stuff that. Happened. Yeah, there's a little there's a little bit to get to. Yeah. So save them or or just put the Microsoft stuff off as long as possible, just because I I genuinely don't think it's really that interesting, and or I don't have anything to say about it. Sure. Um, uh, we'll tangle that. Yeah. So you go ahead, go start us off. Well, I actually was going to start with the Microsoft stuff. So we're shaking it up. All right. Um, pick something else. Um. Okay. So I I want to start with um, CarPlay. So we you know we we talk a lot about in-car tech, as, as you phrase it frequently, on this show. We talked a little bit about this um, a couple weeks ago, a couple episodes ago. 
And then I feel like we feel like we almost talk about it every week, kind of like it's almost like our secondary favorite topic next to Uber. Um, and so Jason Snell at Six Colors, he bought one of these Pioneer CarPlay receivers. He actually did something pretty interesting. He he bought it, but he didn't put it in a car. He actually just hooked it up to power and put it on his desk and then, you know, connected his iPhone to it and then did some testing. And I and he has a really great video on the site. And I guess the takeaway from it and what I want to talk to you about is just how awful it looks. Like I've actually never really seen an extended video of CarPlay and it just everything about it is terrible. It it looks it looks like iOS 1. It I mean I don't know if this is specific to this Pioneer receiver, but all of the touches and taps and swipes were really really sluggish or just not even responsive at all. Um Overcast, which is one of a couple of third-party apps that Jason tries to use crashes during the demo. Um the Siri integration looks slow. Like it takes a little while to recognize what you're saying and then act on what you're saying. Just I don't know, everything about CarPlay just looks really half-baked. That's really dis- that's that's really disappointing because in concept well, why, what made you think it was going to be good? Just in concept CarPlay is exactly what you want it to be. It's basically just taking exactly what's on your iPhone screen but then adapting it to a way to use that same experience in your car. And that in theory is what this is, but in practice it's it's just not. Yeah, I think I think Apple's going a little bit or I, I just think it's a little bit too simplistic and also it just seems not very like I don't Again, I don't like anything that's touch-based in the car because I I think that encourages more distracted uh, distracted driving. But it just seems like uh, so you have like Tesla on the one end, if we're talking about like in-car technology, where they go just way way overboard, erring on on the side of just ridiculousness in terms of touchscreen technology. And then you have Apple, who their current iteration is just super, like it just it's ridiculously basic and also just doesn't look very good. I don't know. It's it's just tricky. Like all all I want is just something that responds well to Siri and then would just show like rich notifications on screen. That's really all I care about. But CarPlay seems like it tries to do more, but it just doesn't do it in a good way. Like, and I guess I'm most bummed about the third-party apps where it seems like those are just, regardless of what effort the application developer puts into it, are just like hopelessly broken. Yeah, there seem to be two things wrong with a third-party app part of this. One is that the third-party apps that are there don't appear to work very well and appear to be very, very limited in what they can do, both in terms of functionality and in terms of UI. And then two, it seems to be a very Apple TV-like situation where you there isn't just an app store where any third-party developer can go in and, and build an app and release it to the general public, but rather there is some type of SDK, but in order to get your app actually out there, it it has to go through some special vetting process by Apple. And it appears that they don't let many apps come through that process. And maybe for good reason. But again, maybe, this, is, this is available in like six cars. Or sorry, I mean six cars on the road. Yeah, well, but but then, you know, again, what, what Jason is highlighting in his article is is this Pioneer unit, which can be put in any car. This is just a third-party, you know, 
receiver. But basically. also every third party car stereo is, is genuinely crap. Right? Well, I think the um so the this Pioneer CarPlay receiver is a new version of Pioneer's app radio. You can actually go into the app radio experience from CarPlay on this receiver. And I think the reviews around that have been relatively positive. Maybe not amazing, but relatively good. Hmm. It, you know, it's it's little things too. I don't, I don't. Again, I don't know if this is specific to this Pioneer receiver or if this is just something with CarPlay. But like in the Maps application, and I guess with all applications, there's no multi-touch support. So when you zoom in and zoom out of the map, you're actually pressing plus and minus buttons instead of using your two fingers to pinch to zoom. That's just this just seems very, very un-Apple-like. It's disappointing in the context of things like even the new Sync 3, which we talked about a couple of episodes back. It supports multi-touch. So it's not it's not as if multi-touch is impossible in the car. But why are people interacting? I just don't think people need to interact with the on-screen content all that much in a car. Because if you're stopped, then you can safely use your phone. I just think it should be extreme. Like, I, all I want, if in an ideal world, is something that shows rich notifications and can do things quickly. Because I think the biggest complaint about any of this kind of stuff is just how much lag there is. It just mm-hmm. needs to do less, but do it really quickly. Because again, if you were able to pay a lot of attention to it and give it lots of attention, you'd be stopped and you can just use your phone. I feel like now I've I've got to go back to the drawing board as to what I should be looking for uh, in terms of, uh, again, as you say, in-car tech in my next vehicle. I thought it was CarPlay, or going to be CarPlay, but... After seeing this demo, I I don't don't think that's the one. Yeah, I think you just need a you need Android Auto. Oh wait, <laughs> just just get an Audi. They have a Google built in. I really don't like the way that the Audi screens look. I don't like the way they just pop out the top of the dash. No, but that's only on the high end cars, and the A three. No, I think I think they pre- I think the twenty fifteen models pretty much all do that, including like the A four. Oh, gross. I don't think the screen is, it's not built, you know, kind of flush into the dash. I don't uh, like, the, I don't like that look. Hold on, let's see. Let's I'm also see. not a bit, I'm also not a big fan of Audi in general. How, yeah, Audi is kind of, kind of gross looking. Oh man, even the Q3 has, God, the Q3 is ugly. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, and like the Q3 is like kind of what I would be interested in as, mo- as somebody who leans more towards an SUV and yeah, I just don't. I don't I don't really like the interior of Audis. I think they look nice from the outside, but I just everything from the dash to the screen to the console layout, I just don't really like the way Audis look. That is a very good point. I like I always thought like it was kind of like kind of lame and but this is this is hideous. Yeah. Lexus has done some nice stuff. They I've been but looking Lexus at makes old people cars. They do, and that's the problem. See, they have they have the opposite problem, where I'm not a huge fan of their body shapes from the outside, but I think their interiors are very nice, including their um, their uh, you know screen interface. Yeah, but <sighs> we'll see. Well, you've got some time to think. I do have some time to think. Yes. Okay. What else you got? Oh, I mean, well, let's go. Let's go back and forth. Your turn. Huh? I'm not sure I have anything. Uh, <laughs> That's not true. I, I threw some stuff in the thing. We did. We did a good job this week of uh, 
you know, sometimes before the show, there's a kind of a mad scramble to throw a bunch of stuff into the the Slack that we use to keep track of show ideas. But this week, we've done a pretty good job of, over the course of the week, slowly building up some topic ideas. I think this was all you and it was all Microsoft news. <laughs> well, that was just today. Well, actually, okay, let's talk about this. You were, uh, I was asking you over the weekend, um, why most people don't like box. Hmm. Yes. And I didn't, and the thing is, like, I always had the opinion that, like, Box is just, like, a crappier version of Dropbox, but I had no basis for that opinion. I had never tried it. I had no, like, there was no real reason. And you had posited that it's because they're more of a business-first, consumer consumers-later company. So I want you to expand on that. So my general observation is that people generally get less excited about and are more naturally inclined to dislike products, software, and services that are enterprise-focused. Like the one of the other examples in addition to Box that I thought of was Outlook. Outlook notoriously has a bad reputation. And I, I think a lot of that is because people at some point in their career have been forced to use it at work and by being forced to use it at work, they I, they just kind of get this kind of negative kind of connotation in their head. Whereas if you actually, like I, I use Outlook at, at work currently, and I like it a lot. I'm a, I'm a really big fan of it. I think it's great. I think, I think outside of the Gmail web interface, it's the best mail client I've ever used. You but enjoy Gmail on the web? I do a lot. Interesting. But, you know, that's not people's general perception of Outlook. And I think something similar goes for Box, where, you know, something like Dropbox, and don't get me wrong, Dropbox is fantastic. I use it every day. We use it for the show. It's it's irreplaceable. But Dropbox, I think, you know, gets gets a bit of a pass, just like many services and software do, where they're consumer-focused. They've got the, you know, cutesy website with all the cool graphics and stuff. And that people like that kind of stuff, whereas you know something like Box, which is the kind of total opposite of that in terms of just the way it presents itself, you know, I think that that turns a lot of people off, fairly or I think unfairly. Yeah, it's an interesting concept, um, and I actually think it's kind of true. But then I also tried Box, and it is crappier. It is. It's it's not as good as Dropbox, but I also don't think it's. But it's I don't not think bad. It's bad. No. No, I mean it works functionally, and their apps and their uh, iOS apps actually have a couple of features I really, really like about them. But I don't know; it's it's not as nice. But yeah, I, I totally agree with that, and I think that's uh, like there are certain companies that make enterprise-focused software that's just terrible, like PeopleSoft and Oracle. But there are certain companies that do focus on the enterprise that actually uh, put out pretty good stuff. But most people just disregard it as being that stuff that is on your work computer that you never actually want to use. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, interesting idea. Yeah. I think, you know, with, with going back to Box specifically, I mean, I, I've only used Dropbox for personal use, and I, I just have a free account. I You know, I only have a few gigabytes of stuff in there. So I haven't really ever used it for lots of data. But, you know, with, with Box at work, I mean, we have terabytes of data um, that we pass around internally amongst the finance team and then also with 
you know, other groups in the company and with our auditors and, you know, really with, with a wide variety of people. And it's, um, it's, it's pretty solid. We, we really never have any issues with it. On that note, I do have a, a, an unrelated question or an unrelated topic. Please. So have you ever used uh, Dropbox's carousel service? I have not, no. Do you know what it is? I do. It's, that's the, uh, the photo stuff, right? It is. So I guess, where do you put all the photos that you've taken with your iPhone? They really just stay on my iPhone. I mean, they're, they're backed up through iCloud. I, I, I bought some additional storage on iCloud. So, so they're the, backed up there, but I don't, I don't really, outside of the occasional post on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, um, I generally just, they're just on my phone. So in the past four years or four generations of iPhone, you've never really deleted or moved the photos off of your phone? No. Hmm. Okay. That's weird or not weird, but I mean, that, that's some, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out what to do with that. Not that I'm out of space. But I have generally always just imported those into iPhoto on my Mac because I still sync like a cave person. <laughs> and and I thought like, you know what? No, I should try living in the cloud. I should do all this stuff. Uh, and that's why I was trying out Box because the because uh, Dropbox has that carousel service. And I'm a Dropbox Pro user and I, and I get the extra storage. Um, and carousel will try to neatly organize all of your uh, all the photo files inside of Dropbox. But it just seems like every cloud storage thing it's just it's less functional it's not it's not better yeah I find like, the I, I find the the moments uh categorization that uh, I think this thing that was introduced in iOS seven mm -hmm. I find that to be not perfect but pretty good yeah, I turned that off I think oh no, I didn't I don't know if you can turn that off. Yeah, like it's fine. I do enjoy that it location tags and tries to group things, but I don't know. Like it seems like uh, you would want them backed up somewhere, and I think like since iPhoto is going to reach the end of its life very soon, and who knows if iCloud Photos or whatever the hell that thing's going to be called is going to be any good. I thought Dropbox would be the answer, but apparently it's not. Because again, Dropbox is a weird company in that, um, and I, I maybe you have other examples of this, but they make. Um, software that they designed to be really, really simple and therefore do not give you many of the logical options you would expect. Mm -hmm. Like in the, in the effort of creating simple software that anybody can use, they just, it's devoid of all configuration. Where Carousel would be a great product for me if you could just say, only look in these folders. Whereas now, like every screenshot I've ever taken or any like other folder that has that's a JPEG file is included in my like timeline. And that's that's actually a really good point. I, I there's something similar with the way that photos work on iOS. You, you know, the, so iOS has this this photo stream thing, right, where if you turn this on and you're an iCloud user you can have your most, I think it's your most recent 100 photos, something like that, automatically sync between all of your devices which are connected to your iCloud account. This can include your Mac, your iPad, even your Apple TV. But the, the problem I've always had with it and the reason that I don't typically use it is because I take a lot of photos, including screenshots and just little funny things that I'll send to you or other friends that you know, I, I don't want bouncing around on a photo stream oh yeah so you're uh like all your ron swanson gifts <laughs> right <laughs> that's, exactly. that's not designed for your apple tv uh, screensaver 
or you know, for example, this this last Sunday, I was in the the grocery store. You know, rare event for me, but I, I was buying some things, and I I took a, a funny photo of some a PBR that I saw because you for some reason you think I'm a big PBR fan. No, I was just I was just saying beer's gross, and that's that's the prime example <laughs> of it. So you know, I took this picture and I texted it to you, and but then you know if I had my photo stream on, then if I you know have my screensaver on the Apple TV going and I have it set to the photo stream, all of a sudden. In addition to all these nice photos I've taken, there's this, you know, photo of PBR. And there's not there's not a very good way to manage that outside of going in and manually deleting photos that you don't want to appear there. But that's But the, here's the thing, that's the problem because like so again to go back to Dropbox, like because they're forcing it to be so simple, which I I really really like it, it it's frustrating to me. Because it could be a really cool product, but they're ma- they're forcing it to be more limited than it has to be, to the point where I'm actually like I thought, you know what, maybe I'll move those non-essential files to Box, just so I can have them separated. But I'm like, but then I came to my senses that like that's fucking stupid. Why am I gonna try to eliminate files out of my Dropbox just so I can use one app that they forced to be too limited to be functional? Yeah, that's just very frustrating. Wait, so you use um, Lightroom for all of your, well, what used to be DSLR photos and now your, you know, mirrorless photos. Yeah. Um, why, why don't you just use that for your iPhone photos as well? I don't know. It's like using a chainsaw to cut a sheet of paper. <laughs> what? That was good. No, like it's... It's like, like... that. There's, like, there's, a, there's a commercial going around where that, it's like you're cutting your phone bill in half thing you seen this sprint don't (laughs) don't don't get me don't get me started okay (laughs) um (laughs) so stupid all right um why max so (laughs) that's not still a thing is it i didn't know they wasted four years yeah all all right um wait what was i talking about (laughs) i don't know okay so iphoto so again like iphoto is has been genuinely a good program that's been like kind of mismanaged and like it, it like has been completely ignored by Apple for like five years. But iPhoto is a very good application that I enjoy. For, and I think it's where all the iPhone photos belong because nothing that I ever take with my phone will ever really get retouched. Whereas I do like segregating all of my DSLR or like my fancy camera photos. So that's, I think that makes that's, sense. That's a good phrase. Where I would never want, uh, because it's it's just too much. Like I enjoy, I I expect Lightroom to be kind of sluggish and kind of clunky, just because it has so many features. Whereas iPhoto is fast and kind of like friction free, because you know you you just expect less from it. So again, yeah, I I'm, I was just super disappointed by Carousel because of that, and I really wanted it to work. Because having like the idea of my photos being everywhere whenever I want to log in from a mobile device or a web browser is kind of cool, but not for me. That would be a good good little project is to f- I research and play around with ways to organize your mobile photos. Because here's the thing, like that's going to become a bigger issue for people. Definitely. I mean, it, it ties into what we talked about a couple of episodes back by using your iPhone as your primary camera, which is more and more becoming, you know, a thing that people do. Yeah. Yeah. So 
it's mainly it. I don't know. It's just <sighs> more features or like just, I don't. And the thing is they could always just bury that stuff under like a section that says advanced. Like, I don't think add like adding minor, but like essential like settings is it has to complicate a product just like hide it in like some hidden settings thing that only like a like a i hate the word a power user would find i don't know yeah i mean i I do generally agree with that but i feel like you and i are both coming at that from such a biased perspective but again i think regular people would hate this too Hmm. yeah I, i don't have any sense of how popular carousel is like, I don't know. It's annoying. And, and the thing is, like, it allows you to hide photos one by one. Why the f- Why would you want to do that? Ugh. Again, on, on an unrelated note, TimeHop is still the grace, uh, greatest application ever. Yeah, re- remind me what this... I saw you tweet something about this. What is, what is this? So TimeHop is an application uh, that you link all of your social networks to, and basically every day it sends you a push notification uh, stating that this is what you posted... Um, every uh, on this day uh like for as long as you have like a social history hmm so like if you were to open it up it would say like uh, four years ago you posted like blah 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 that seems kind of neat so it's very cool and it's very like you got you got one notification and it that that's it so what have you ever gotten a notification of something that you would have rather not remembered no because like if there's anything sad or something i don't post that like i'm not like a super social like i'm not like i don't post everything i don't live my life through social media mm. so i don't live uh like weird moments on anyway let's see yeah like last year i wrote all i need uh for beats music to replace rdos for somebody to create an itunes top five, uh, 500 playlist oh i remember that and yeah and uh now i don't use beats radio and rdo is still <laughs> a, a pile of crap and no, nobody nobody's replicated that on, on Spotify. A... No. Except Spotify's not... now unusable in my car. So it all it all just it all it all doesn't work. Spotify doesn't have that playlist. It doesn't. There have been people who made it and like gave up. Yeah. So, so if you search for iTunes top one hundred, you'll get many, many playlists, but they're all from like two or three years ago. Yeah. <sighs> Generally I've I've like I've I've stuck with Spotify here it's for good. the last month and it's it's okay. I, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's okay. Yeah. It's, it's probably the best on-demand music service there is. Yeah. So on that note, what do you think uh, iTunes or uh, Apple's going to do with Beats Radio or Beats Music? What do you mean? Like, do you think it'll ever get more tightly integrated with iOS? Do you ever think it'll be an iTunes branded product? Are they going to treat it separately? Like what's going to happen? I don't know. I mean, the, we talked about this on the show. The rumor is that it's going to become more integrated into iTunes and eventually maybe just really become iTunes. But will it exist as a separate band or brand? Will it be Beats Music from iTunes or is it just going to be iTunes uh, subscription or something? Or like I, don't, I don't know. It, it, it's, I, I, I don't know. It, it seem, I, mean, I think what we talked about when we discussed this, uh, I don't know, a month or two ago, is it, it just seems like the current model of iTunes where you're buying tracks at, you know, $1.29 and albums at $9.99 or whatever, that model's going away. And it's it's being replaced by streaming. And so 
eventually Apple's going to need to respond to that, and you know, it, it would make sense to leverage what they've bought with Beats. I don't know why they would buy Beats and then go out and kind of build their own thing. That would be kind of unintuitive. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. As long as there are Taylor Swifts, I'm not sure that the uh, old uh, buy the song and um, buy the album sales is going to go away. It's not going to go away tomorrow, but over the course of the next handful of years, I think it will. Yeah. Are you, are you listening to uh, Taylor Swift's newest album on Spotify? Well, I can't. And what happened? I, well, I bought two of the tracks. So congratulations, Taylor Swift. You got $2.60. She got way more. <laughs> Little deep. Uh Blank Space is a good song. Oh, yeah, we will. Yeah, it's we've we've already talked about this on the show too. But yeah, it's again, it's this, really is, this is a clip show, except it's not actual clips. It's just, <laughs> just we've run out of ideas, repeating stuff we've already talked about. Yeah. Greatest hits. Yeah. Um. So I've got some other stuff. Go for it. Uh. So you've seen you saw Marco's post about Overcast sales. Exactly what I was looking at. Yep. Yeah. So uh, for context here, so Marco Arment, uh, best known for creating Instapaper. Best he, known for his inflammatory uh, article from last week. Well, that too. He uh, also created an, a podcast app, which I think we've, we've talked about occasionally on the show, Overcast. And um, he did something pretty interesting uh, this last week. He, his, he has a blog post uh, at marco.org, and he... You know, as as you you know, as you frequently say, he opened the kimono, and really laid out everything you'd ever want to know about the number of downloads he's had, when those downloads have occurred, how much to the dollar that means in terms of revenue for him. Really, really interesting stuff. Um, it, it's it's quite literally like someone sharing with you all the details of their income like somebody basically showing you like their w2 um so it's pretty pretty interesting well well except he also he has all that tumblr money but anyway well no 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 i i the i'm not earnings. sure yes. Yes, yes because again like that's the nice uh, that's a very nice thing for him which is that he has that kind of cushion to pursue projects that he maybe is not 100% sure of the financial outcomes for. Absolutely. Which allows him to take a risk on yet another podcast client, which sure. does a lot of cool things, but I can't use it until it has streaming. But it's, yeah, it's it's really neat. And it's, it's nice to know about the viability of the service overall of what he pays for, like server-side costs and the things that he still pays for, even though the initial sale is over. All the revenue from that customer has already been recognized. Like he will not, it's not a subscription-based model. There's nothing else that he's going to be getting from it. So I think a lot of that's pretty cool. And I'm I'm very surprised that he has, I don't know, over 300 million, or sorry, 300 million, uh, 300,000 uh, customers, right? Well, Oh, so, no, okay. I'm sorry. No, that was, oh, I forgot. It's a freemium app. So, okay. So that so the, before we get into the, the dollars and cents, again, as, as you say, um, the download the download numbers are interesting. So he's had a little under three hundred and twenty thousand downloads in. These are all as of the end of twenty fourteen. So the the app launched near the beginning of July, and then you know through through the rest of twenty fourteen, little under three hundred twenty thousand total downloads. Of those downloads, only two hundred thousand 
actually launched the app, which is, um, I don't know, it, it seems odd that 120,000 people downloaded this thing and never used it. That's, well, no, I don't know. they, they, That's, they, uh, didn't create an account. Well, but the, but creating an account is the very first thing you do in the app. A lot of people, like, you, do you ever get something where, like, you go to a website and it says, like, ah, oh, you got to sign up, and you're like, oh, and you just don't, you just <laughs> well, don't. I think yeah. that happens a lot to me where I'm like, I, I don't actually care th- enough about this. I assume I mean, if I, you went to yeah. the app store and downloaded it, you kind of are more invested than just visiting a website. But, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I guess that's um, what's what's happening here. Um but then, it, so then to transition that into what that kind of means in terms of dollars. So as you say, it's it's a freemium app where it's free to download, free to use, and then you can purchase additional features in the app. And so, fourteen point seven percent, or about forty seven thousand people, have um, done that in app purchase. And so what that means to Marco is it's about $164,000 after Apple's 30% share, but that's, you know, that's before any taxes or expenses or anything. Um, what's interesting, though, is that uh, half of that, a little over half of that, was in the first month. So about 80, little 86000 was in that July time period, um, which is kind of what you'd expect, right? With apps, they come out, they get a lot of attention when they first come out. And then they sort of trickly or quickly trail off. I mean, I guess one of the one of the things that's interesting though with Marco's numbers here is that so he has this breakout where even if you exclude that first month, he's still seeing some pretty decent numbers here. So he's he's getting about twenty eight thousand monthly downloads, about forty five hundred monthly in app purchases which translates to a little under $16,000 of monthly revenue, which, you know, that's it's not bad. Not bad at all. And again, that's, this is before income tax and, you know, self-employment, health insurance, all, all this kind of stuff. So it's, it's not as if Marco's pulling in $16,000, you know, net income every month. But, you know, that's, 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 that's pretty impressive. And it'll be, I think, interesting to see if if over the course of 2015 that $16,000 a month number stays the same i i would be surprised if it did but uh, i mean i i hope i hope for marco it does but i i don't know that that doesn't i don't know i don't know if that's sustainable and i guess to me that's the whole takeaway is with these apps you know you get the big boost out the gate make a bunch of money up front and then maybe for a while the monthly income is pretty solid but you just very rarely hear of a mobile app that can sustain, you know, a, a measurable level of profitability for an extended period of time. It seems like all mobile apps are, you know, kind of a sort of flash in the pan, and they're just not very sustainable. I think that's sort of true, but I think apps like this and also certain productivity apps are probably more sustainable. Like, I... Yeah, I don't know. Like you would, did you look at Monument Valley's uh, release on this? I did. Yeah, I I, I copied that as well. I, I didn't look into those numbers as closely though. Yeah. Before we go to that, uh, one of the things I do enjoy about Marco's post, just to wrap that up, is that he wrote down that Apple made seventy thousand dollars from Overcast in two thousand fourteen. Mm-hmm. Again, Apple doing basically nothing. Just well, that's that's not fair. They're doing credit card processing, and that's basically it. 
Well, and and, and they're rejecting apps. <laughs> it it costs a lot of money they've, to they've pay people to reject apps. They've created the SDK. They've invested in making the iPhone available in that's hundreds not what of this countries covers. across no, no, millions of users. That's I mean, not what the 30% covers. Of course it does. No, it's not. That is covered by the Mac sales and everything else and the iPhone. Well, it all... The it, iTunes store it all goes is not to the, fund Xcode development. It all goes in... Well, whatever. It all it all goes to Apple's bottom line. It doesn't really matter where it comes from. They're very, very healthy. Very, very... Uh, yeah, it's... I don't it's a big bottom be, line. I don't I well I I see I don't I don't fault Apple at all for that 30%. I don't. But again, I well, never mind. We won't go into that. So yeah, but Monument Valley, I I had no idea about I the I didn't know piracy on iOS was such a big thing. I well, I I told you um that even with like that second generation Apple TV that I sold, I ended up selling it for like $170 or something. So I ended up making money by upgrading to the third generation Apple TV. And the reason was because there's such a huge jailbreak market for the Apple TV. And I, th I think there still is for the iPhone too, which is crazy. That's, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah, I don't but, either. Yeah, so I thought that was very cool. And again, did you, have you played Monument Valley all the way through? No. Man, you, you got to get sick again so you can, uh, <laughs> Well, so you can have an excuse That's to play terrible. it. No, no, like because it it only takes like uh, two to three hours to play the entire well, thing I'm, all the I'm way through. I'm traveling next week, so maybe maybe I'll put that on my list of things to do. Got to download it before you get on the plane, and it's it's just so good. Yeah, it, it's on um, it's on my phone and my iPad. I just just haven't played it. No. So what 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 are some what are some of these numbers? So uh, I think they're the <clears throat> the big takeaway there was that it's been installed on 10 million devices. Yet they've only sold 2.4 million copies, which is really kind of weird and disappointing. Um, and the vast, vast, vast majority of the revenues come from iOS. Shocker. Yeah, so I mean, I guess in some ways this is similar to the the Overcast story, where mm -hmm. a very, very, very small percentage of users, given the choice of just taking the free option versus paying for whatever additional features there are. But also, to clarify, there is no free option with Monument Valley. Oh, yeah, I'm, so, I'm sorry. You're right. <laughs> so I'm the sorry. free option right. is piracy. Yeah, I'm sorry. You're right, right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's not good. Yeah, so that, that was, that was uh, it's a bummer, but um, yeah, I, I like the, uh, all the stats they made. Yeah, I think I think that what I'm interested in with these numbers is, and this this is something that not only applies to something like Monument Valley, but just game development in general. They cite that it took over eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars to develop the original game, and then an additional five hundred and forty nine thousand dollars to develop the expansion. So you know you're talking one point three one point four million dollars of development cost for. What people who maybe aren't very familiar with the technical details of what it takes to make a game seems like a very simple piece of software, and you know I, I think people people lose sight of that that software software of any type, particularly games, is very 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 expensive to make. It's not it's not just about slapping some code together, printing a disc, and away you go. It's you know years and years of dozens if not hundreds of people's full-time dedication to make this stuff happen 
which which makes it all the more a shame that people complain about paying what two ninety nine three ninety nine for software like this. Yeah, very sad. Oh, well, that's a cheery note. Yeah, I, again, you'll you'll be happier once you play it. It's it's fantastic. Yeah, it's a game that everybody can get into. Well, speaking of games and prices of said games. Let's talk a little Xbox. So this is not this is not the Microsoft news today. This is this was from earlier this week. Um, as you'll recall, Carlos, over the holidays, the Xbox One dropped from three ninety nine to three forty nine, and Microsoft swore up and down that it was a temporary price promotion, and that come, I think it was January second or third, that that price would go back up to three ninety nine. And we, we talked about that on the show, and I had speculated, as had many other people, that it seemed kind of dubious that this would end up being temporary, particularly given how well the Xbox sold during November and December when this promotion was going on. It, it far outsold the PlayStation 4 during those two months, and that's the first time that it had done so. And so the, the price did go back up to $399 temporarily for the last couple of weeks, but then starting again on, I think, January, January 16th, it went back down to 349 And they, <laughs> Microsoft has continued to insist that it's not a permanent price drop, but this time it didn't actually even give any specific date as to when this was going to end, outside of just saying it's not permanent. But it's permanent. And it still doesn't come with Connect. The 349 version does not come with Connect. No, mm. I just it's um the Xbox One is really, I think it in which is I, I hope this isn't the case, but I, I kind of suspect that it is. I think it's already sort of cemented what its legacy is going to be and what people are going to remember it by, and that's this the complete way that it did a 180 degree turn on everything that it originally intended to do. You know, you think about what this thing was when it got announced. It was a $500 box with Connect, and not only with Connect, but having Connect be an integral part of the experience. Obviously, it had all that DRM stuff that people got all upset about, the need to be constantly connected to the internet, having TV be a central focus of the box. And here we are, just a little over a year later, and this thing, I mean, obviously it came out without that DRM, without the need to be constantly connected. Now Connect is totally optional, and the price is $150 less. That's It's pretty unprecedented that in such a short period of time, a gaming console has changed what it originally set out to be. It, it's, it has been common for consoles to evolve over their life cycle, especially as the life cycles of these things have gotten longer and longer. But... For this to happen in 13, 14 months is really crazy, completely wild. And, it, you know, I think in some ways, in some ways, you know, on one hand, shame on Microsoft for getting so much wrong up front. But on the other hand, credit to them for recognizing what they got wrong and acting very quickly to fix it. That's, that's about all, about all I got on that. But, you yeah. know. Again, X Xbox is... <sighs> I don't know. It's it's troubling because it, again the whole 
this most recent generation of game consoles seems like it's if you want a serious gaming machine, you're buying a PS4. If you want something that is just kind of fun and a little bit cheaper, you're buying a Wii U. And Microsoft generally doesn't have that many exclusive titles. And because of its sales numbers, fewer I I assume that fewer people are um, choosing uh, to make exclusives for Xbox unless it's a Microsoft-owned game developer, right? Yeah, that's that's been the I think the main reason why there's been such a push by Microsoft to try to get these things out in people's hands through things like this price cut is building up that user base. But, you know, it's it's not as if the PlayStation 4 is rolling around in great games either. I mean, that's that's my constant complaint about both of these machines is that over a year in, the game selection for both is still awful. And when compared to an even modest PC, these games don't look as good and run as well, which is really disappointing. It's interesting, though, because both the PlayStation 4 and the Xbox One are outpacing their predecessors in terms of sales. So, by quite a, by quite a margin, too. Even the Xbox One, which has struggled compared to the PlayStation 4, has far outsold the Xbox 360 at this point in its life cycle. And the 360 in the previous generation was the most popular. So it's, yeah, I don't know, it's um, kind of weird. It's like these boxes are generally considered to be pretty disappointing, but people are still buying them and buying them in record numbers. Pretty interesting. Yeah. Also, we, we, as we frequently do on the show, we buried the lead. What's that mean? Well, so we, I mean, we, no, I know what that means, but what does that mean in our context? So in our context, I, I think you probably think I'm going to talk about the Microsoft stuff, but no. I want to hear about what's happened with you and your iPads. I have to, I have to use this plural now. Oh, yeah, I, I'm rid of the awful iPad mini. Yeah, so what, what, what happened here? So again, did we talk about this last week or the week before? We talked about your iPad mini two shows ago. Okay. Um, so on, on your recommendation, I or not on your recommendation, but because you uh, uh, planted the seed uh, that, I should, that I should maybe reconsider an iPad, because I, I agreed with a lot of your uh, reasoning behind it. Um, I went and got an iPad mini three, got it. It was a dud. I got it swapped. And I still just didn't like the iPad for a lot of different reasons. Uh, so then I got an iPad Air 2, and it's better. Still not perfect, but it's better. So what, what's, what's better about it? Uh, everything. Um, the screen size is better. I guess it, you had both the iPad 3 and the iPad Air 1, right? Yes. It's a lot smaller. Like they they shrunk the bezel a lot. That I did I didn't really think they they had done that. Comparing the three to the first Air. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Like in the, terms of the width, it's a lot smaller. Yeah. The, comparing the comparing the Air to what came before it is. I mean, it's night and day. Yeah. So I mean, I, my big disappointments were with the Mini Three were that uh, the it, it was it was a little bit too small. Um, I like I, while I enjoy the size, it was just too small for any productivity work. Um, it just felt like, because with the iPhone 6 being 4.7 inches, it really just wasn't big enough to make it worth carrying around, which I guess was the complaint I had about the iPad 3, which was it was 
too big, but also not as big of a laptop. I don't know. It's just weird stuff like that. But yeah, the, the screen wasn't big enough. The screen quality on the iPad mini is is just absolutely awful. Um, it was sluggish, and I don't know. just just didn't feel right. Hmm. So I, I have since sold that. I somehow made $10 off the deal. So it was, it was one of the cheapest mistakes I've made in my life. You sold the mini for more than you bought it? Yes. Wow. Dude, Amazon is the best place to sell anything. None of this eBay business. Really? Yeah. Because the the MSRP of the, the model I got was 630 I listed it for sale for 610 because I paid $600 for it. And it sold, and I've already shipped it, and I've got my money. It's all done. Interesting. And Amazon fees are very reasonable. I've never done that before. Yeah, I I sold my iPhone there. It's it's very good. Hmm. Greatly recommend. But yeah, the iPad Air two. It's so so fast. It's ridiculous. Screen quality is fantastic. Uh, it's nice and thin and light. Um, I'm very much enjoying the smart cover. Midnight blue is the the best color in the world. Um, <laughs> seriously, I've I've got that. <laughs> what? You, I'm surprised you didn't buy the orange one. They don't have an orange one. They don't. No. Oh, I I remember you again, were upset about that. Again, that's probably if if I had if <laughs> time hop would probably show me. But I said something about um, uh, when orange smart covers are outlawed, only outlaws will have orange smart covers. <laughs> and I still think that's true. And I still get hung on to it, even though I don't have an iPad two anymore. I still have the iPad two orange smart cover somewhere. It's, ne- it's never gonna give it up. No, never. I wonder if I could snap that onto the iPad Air two, and I and I can just kind of crop it. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's super, super fast. Um, I have a matching smart cover for it, the same, uh, case as I have on the, um, iPhone six and we're, it, it works great. It still has a lot of complaints that I have about the iPad in general, but I'm trying to embrace its limitedness. So the, the thing that I was the most surprised about in this whole process was that, and I had to look this up twice to make sure I wasn't just missing something. Oh, the price difference? Yeah, there's, like how, there's only how not very much more expensive it is. Yeah, it's, it's, so there's only a hundred dollar difference between the iPad Mini three and the comparable iPad Air two model. Mm-hmm. That's shocking. And again, better screen quality, so much faster. Oh, and double the RAM. And see, that's exactly. I I guess in my head, I thought the difference was two hundred dollars. And I, that it, that speaks exactly to how the, the iPad Mini Three is basically a hundred dollars too expensive. Most definitely, and again, it's and it's built like crap. So, ah, see, I don't. That's so. That's so weird. I don't. Even even after you've talked about this the last few episodes, I like just comparing the screen quality of your iPhone Six to the Mini Three. You you can't tell how how different it is. You can. You can, but I don't think the—I haven't used the iPad Air too much. I used it a little over Christmas, um, but I did—I did not find the iPad Air two screen to be in any way comparable to the iPhone six. I thought the iPhone six was still far superior. I—I hmm. I disagree. But again, like our uses are very different. I think for you, the Mini three is a great choice because you want to use it mainly for reading. Like that's—that's right. that's your biggest thing. The iPad Air, even though it's lighter, still I probably wouldn't want to read for extended periods of time unless like I'm I'm like um, laying down or something where like I'm not holding the iPad. 
But in terms of productivity use, like if I want to use it uh, with an external keyboard and like start typing up some documents and doing stuff like that, um, I think having the nine and a half or whatever it is uh, inch screen is um, is a lot more important. Yeah, no, I, th I think that's fair. And I, I've never once connected a keyboard to my iPad or done any of that kind of stuff. So yeah, I, th I think, I think for the best way to summarize this whole iPad discussion we've been having is the mini for my use is probably best. And I think the full size iPad is closer to what you're looking for. I'm just trying to wean myself off a full computer. I'm, st I'm still not. It's so hard because I'm still it, not. Yeah, I'm still not convinced you're gonna like this iPad in the long run. Oh no, I'm sure I won't. <laughs> it's just uh, it it iOS is so limited. It's so frustrating. It is. Yeah. Like it's gotten better, but just like uh, that. You know what? I think I don't. I don't know if that'll be a full topic on some future show. We should think about what that would look like. But just I, that's something that's always kind of bugged me about iOS is just how limited it is if you if you kind of take a step back and you just sort of compare what you can do on your phone versus what you can do on even a basic like you know, full-size computer either desktop or laptop kind of stunning what a difference there still is like i, I keep wanting like i i've thought for a couple of days now like of, of toying with the idea of like just banning myself from using the laptop and just using an ios device and i think i would just i would go insane yeah there's there i've um I've done. I, I went on a couple of trips. Um, I guess it's mostly prior to my current job. Where at my previous job, I didn't. I didn't really like my computer. It was pretty crummy. Like it still had Windows XP and everything. So, so when I would go on personal trips, and it, it was kind of big and bulky too. So, like when I would go on personal trips, I would generally not bring it. So I would only have my iPhone or iPad, and you know that that would be it, right? And yeah, when you're away from a full-size computer for any sort of extended period of time, it's it's just not great. And you just realize how much you miss from having that. And I guess my question or my concern is, like, I don't see how iOS will ever kind of like bridge those two worlds. Like just no matter how much complexity they add, I don't see how it'll ever get to the point so unless the tasks we're doing on those mobile devices like get dumbed down, I don't see how it'll ever be that way. Like that, this is why I kind of like the idea of like, I mean, even though the Surface Pro 3 is kind of like just like this weird Frankenstein device, like that's the only thing I ever think that could replace a laptop. Yeah, I can't remember if it was on the show we talked about this or if we talked about this offline, but... I think the reason why mobile devices, and I, I include both phones and tablets in this, feel so limited, mostly comes down to the method of input. I just think that uh, when you compare a phone or a tablet to a laptop or a desktop, just having a keyboard and mouse and having applications which are built for keyboard and mice just allows you to do so much more, so much more efficiently and quickly. And I think, I think that's going to have to be the next step with phones and tablets in order to become more powerful and, and easier to use, or I guess not easier necessarily, but just being more robust, the, the method of input's got to change. And I, I don't know what that's going to be, but having just 
you know, taps and swipes and that kind of stuff. That's just, that's not, that's going to eventually hit kind of an, an upper limit as to how useful that can be and how powerful that can be. It, powerful is definitely the right word in the sense that it, doing very, there are certain tasks that are made easier with a touchscreen and simple gestures and that kind of stuff, but almost any, anything else that has any complexity to it, like Lightroom is not available on iOS, right? No. Like mm -hmm. Adobe has some, like they have like a touch version of Photoshop, but like that's something that I don't ever think will ever be on a tablet just because there are too many things that exist inside menus and too many features where doing that on a touchscreen would just be so maddening that it, it just won't ever be a thing. Yeah, no, not, not in the current, not in the current form of something like an iPad. There's no way that Lightroom would work. Yeah, that's why I'm, I'm terrified of the convergence of iOS and macOS 10. I don't know. I, I, I have to imagine that Apple thinks about this kind of stuff. I don't I don't think they view iOS as being as powerful as something like OS ten. Four years. Until what? Until I'm calling it that in four years, whatever the current entry level to mid range MacBook ends up being an iOS device. Mm. it's coming and it's going to be terrible. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I think that's, I think that's definitely a possibility. Yeah. But you were saying like what type of input method would um, change things to make mobile devices more powerful. And I think uh, Microsoft showed us the answer to that today. <laughs> Great transition. It's called hollow glass or whatever. Yeah. I have no idea what any of this is. So this, I'm, I'll just put myself on mute. You can talk okay. for 20 minutes because I don't know what happened. <laughs> no, please, please don't do that. Um, so Microsoft had a big press conference today. We'll, we'll close the show out with this. So they big, big press conference today. They came into it promising a bunch of big announcements. Um, and as they hinted at, the main focus was Windows 10, which they teased a couple of months back. But today they actually, you know, kind of... Um, showed us some more and went into some more details about timeline and all this kind of stuff. To be perfectly honest, I there wasn't really anything feature-wise that they showed off which was all that interesting or which we haven't kind of already talked about on the show. But what is interesting is Windows 10 is going to be a free upgrade for any user of Windows 7 or Windows 8. Um, which obviously this has been now the norm on OS 10 for the last couple of releases, but this is a pretty radical shift from Microsoft, which is a company that has historically relied upon Windows licenses as a primary source of income. Well, so a couple of things on that. So, I mean, well, mainly only one thing. With Apple, it's that way because Apple makes the hardware. A free OS X doesn't matter if it means you're going to continue to buy a Mac. It's different from Microsoft in the sense that they don't get anything from the hardware. Like they get the initial license for Windows, but in terms of not being able to sell people a $99 to $229 upgrade, it is a dramatically different business model. And isn't this going to be Windows 10 with Bing or something? Isn't it going to have some weird advertising tie-in? Or did no, I misread I, that? No, I don't, I don't think so. I, I think the approach here, which I think is a good one, is... You know, Microsoft really is, and you know, you and I have talked extensively on the program about how we don't think this is a good strategy, but they've they've really honed in on it, and it's that's the idea of 
having one operating system across all devices. So, you know, Windows 10 is going to run on phones, on tablets, on hybrid type machines, on laptops, on desktops, and, and, and you name it, Windows 10 is going to run on it. And in addition to that, and this is where they're really kind of, um, as you famously say, double down um, on this, they're focusing on making apps kind of cross-platform as well, where you can write one app in Windows 10, and that one build of the app can then run across all these different devices and screen sizes and have different methods of input, all this kind of stuff. And I, I think Microsoft's thinking here is, if that has any shot of working, by the way, it doesn't, but it, if they think it does have a chance of working, then they've got to get Windows 10 into the hands of as many people as possible. And, you know, the easiest way to do that is by basically just throwing this thing out there. And so that's smart. I, I think, I think, yeah, I, I think, I think that's a smart approach. I mean, <laughs> I say it half-heartedly because I just don't think the philosophy of Windows is a, is a good one, but um, I should say of Windows 10 specifically with this cross-platform idea, but um, if they are, you know, steadfastly sticking to that, then I guess making this freeze a good thing to do or a smart thing to do. Yeah, you got to get them in the door some way. Yeah. So that, you know, that was the big announcement. Um, you know, there was a bunch of bunch of other stuff. Um, they talked some about Xbox integration into Windows 10. One of the big features they touted was being able to stream Xbox One games to any Windows 10 device, which just seems like the most worthless meaning you could watch it or you could play it you can you can play it but you still have to the game still has to be running on an xbox one but it's just then wirelessly you know it's then just wirelessly streaming to a windows 10 device so you know most people the the problem has been hey how do i take this game which is running on my pc and get that onto my tv which is where things like the steam box and steam os that kind of stuff is coming to play this is basically the opposite, which is something that nobody's asking for, and that's the ability to run your console game on your computer. But you still need the console. It's I don't know. It's it's a it's a solution to a problem that nobody has. So I I don't get that at all. That's very strange. Um, they they talked a little bit about Surface Hub, which is an eighty four inch. 4k all-in-one computer it it honestly these pictures that that i'm looking at look like something out of an onion article um but it's it's real <laughs> images of the uh the old surface table come to mind um you, do you remember that parody video yeah and then i'm saying that this surface this surface hub thing like looks like that um yeah it's pretty pretty wild the only thing I think Microsoft was really forward thinking, like that whole, the Microsoft, the original Microsoft Surface was a gigantic piece, like, or like nobody actually used that ever, but that was a great name. Like, imagine if the Microsoft Surface was good. Well, it's you know, I, I don't, I don't want to go into it on this show, um, but I played around with a, a Surface a couple of days ago. A friend, um, friend has one. I got Surface 3 or? So yeah, the, the, the newest one, the Surface the 3. The good one or the, the gooder of... <laughs> The, the, the it, it's decent. It, it's one of the high-end ones. Okay. Um, it's pretty nice. 
good yeah. build, good build quality. Um, the keyboard's nice. The way that it kind of snaps in and out of tablet mode versus desktop modes, kind of cool. Yeah, again, um, if, if like if Windows was good, it, it would know. be. If Apple made something like that, which they never will, it would be cool. Potentially, yeah. I I'm I am not based on everything I've seen so far from something like Surface. I'm I am not convinced that it's possible to have one operating system basically act as both a mobile device and a kind of laptop or desktop device. I just just don't think that's I think I just don't think that's possible. But um this this is where we are. This is what Microsoft thinks is the future. Um and then the other thing, which is how you transitioned us to this topic, is uh, they they did some demos on holographic slash augmented reality stuff that they're working on. One of which is the uh, Hololens, which is just a just a awful name, but it's uh, a pair of goggles you can wear. The the design for Windows Ten, where you can basically look at holographs from your windows 10 computer and uh so hold on wait to clarify it it's not its own self-contained thing it's just of like a file viewer i thought it was like a computing experience inside of the glasses it it is it is but i, th I think it i think it relies upon having windows 10 in some function well of course everything runs on windows 10 <laughs> it's windows all the way down yeah <laughs> right Actually, maybe maybe that'll maybe that'll be our show title. Um, There's got to be something better here. Okay. Well, but so you know, I joked a minute ago about how that whole Surface Hub thing almost looked like a parody of itself. Well, this Hololens thing, actually, you know, the video they put together looked really cool, of course, and the you know, the demo they did on stage looked all right. But the thing that you just can't help but remembering back to, and I. Gruber linked to an article that talked about this, and this is exactly what I thought about during the announcement today, is this is totally deja vu all over again with the Kinect. When Microsoft originally unveiled the Kinect, they had all these sleek demo videos and stage demos showing all kinds of things that the Kinect never even came within a million miles of doing. And, you know... It, you, you you can't be surprised if this is the exact same thing where, yeah, maybe this thing does come out sometime in the next year or two, but it's not going to work or look anything like what we saw today. And this is, you know, that this is like the, the problem we talked about with CES from a couple of shows back where I just think it's really disingenuous to pitch something at a consumer-focused event that isn't really going to come out in any sort of consumer capacity within a reasonable period of time. I mean, maybe this thing does. Maybe this. Maybe I'm totally wrong, but I'm, I'm highly skeptical that's going to be the case. Is it just the world's biggest coincidence that Google Glass got canceled the same week? <laughs> like I know people joked about that, but I mean, that's it's that's just spooky. Well, because you know, is this yeah. is this a comparable? Not not that it's a comparable product, but do you think it is? the same problem or same kind of concept being tackled in different ways? Or do you think these are entirely different? I, th I think this is entirely different. Some people made this comment today, and I agree wholeheartedly with it. Something like this has a better chance of working than something like Google Glass, mostly because this is a device that's meant to be worn 
in the office or at home. It's not meant to be just worn everywhere. And I think that's the big thing with something like Google Glass is the idea of wearing a ridiculous headset thing everywhere you go is it's just kind of it's just kind of dumb. But if you're sitting down doing some work or sitting down at home doing things, you know, in the privacy of an office or in a, in a home, I think it makes a lot more sense. But I, I, I don't know. Again, I think, I don't know. You, you, just, you just, you can't help, you can't help but being cynical by almost this entire um, presentation today because of the whole idea that it seems like Microsoft's really just sticking to the same old Windows strategy that we've seen with Windows 7 and 8, which has proven to so far be unsuccessful. And they're continuing to tout things like this ridiculous 84-inch surface thing and holographic glasses. It just, I don't know. This, this whole thing just, you know, I don't know. Well, what, what do you expect them to do? The, the Windows Everywhere strategy is what will keep them alive, right? I mean, like Azure and, um, and, uh, like, uh, and their online services division, their cloud services division, which make up for all the losses in the consumer web services division. And then like Office will eventually probably stop printing money. So, I mean, Windows Everywhere is the only real way to combat that, right? No. Like, what do you expect I, I, them to do differently? They, what, they, what they needed to do, and it's, it's honestly probably too late now, but what they needed to do is when they were talking about what they were going to do for mobile handsets, and there was, all, there was all those talk around like, ooh, Microsoft Metro, what is this, you know? That's what they needed to do. They needed to come out with a mobile operating system, and, you know, this could run across phones and tablets similar to like how iOS works that was 110% separated from Windows on the desktop. Yeah, but that's Bo what Windows both in, 8 both was. In name, both in name and code, no. Or no, sorry, that's what Windows Phone 7 and 8 were. No, 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 no. That's, that was totally separate. It shared of, the name, but it was everything was it was totally different. I, I don't believe that's true in terms of a lot of the underlying architecture. Like, and think like in terms of game development, for example. I think it was the exact same... Uh, I can't remember what this was called, but I, I'm pretty sure it was the same programming language across like Xbox and Windows Phone. And that that's a mistake. I just think that I just think Microsoft should have completely separated what they were doing for mobile devices from what they were trying to do for traditional computers, both in name and in build. And I think if they would have spent the last, you know, when did when did Windows Seven, Windows Phone Seven series thing, when did that come out? Twenty ten. Uh, late 2010, I believe. Yeah. If, if, if Microsoft could have spent the last four or five years working on a completely independent piece of mobile software that was totally separate from Windows, I mean, think about where that could be by but now. But they did. I, they, I, Windows, I think Windows Phone 7 was sort of a half-assed attempt to do that. And then Windows Phone 8 was a whole-assed attempt, and it was still... No, didn't Windows Phone 8 came out the exact same day Windows 8 did, didn't it? It was like the same thing. But again, the code base is not the same. It's just that it's mediocre software. That's why you're confusing them. <laughs> they both were underwhelming. That's again, like it's... But I think it but Windows Windows Phone 8 and Windows 8 were pitched as being a unified experience, correct? Sort of, not really. I'm pretty sure that was a big part of the sales pitch. 
Well, and, and in any case, it certainly is with Windows 10. And I just I just think that's a mistake. I think I think I think the the proof is in the pudding, right? Like the way that Apple's done it by completely separating out their desktop and their mobile operating systems has been wildly successful, both in terms of the user experience and in terms of profitability. I just it's just it's just amazing that this this example that Apple has set is out there and Microsoft is just doing completely the opposite. But but Microsoft only gets so many do-overs. Again, like consumers are not going to keep following them to because so you're saying that they need to scrap Windows uh Windows Phone 7 and Windows Phone 8 and do something entirely new and they need to scrap Surface and basically start over. Is what no, you're saying. I, I think a, I think a product like Surface is a is a good idea, and I think most of like the hardware that's come out. But for you're some saying of these running new... an entirely new operating system. Yeah. So you think the very limited number of people who bought into the existing Surface and Windows Phone concepts are going to go through yet a third transition? No, I'm not. I'm not saying that's something Microsoft can do now. I'm saying that's something they needed to do five six years ago. <laughs> All right. Maybe maybe Bummer was uh he got out while he was good. Yeah, I I you know what I I think there's I think there's a lot to that. He's he's dancing with Fergie at the Clippers game. He's he's got it all. I mean, listen, like we could you know you, we can listen to this episode a couple of years from now, two three years from now, and maybe Windows Ten is a wild success and it's you know it's proven to be a far more robust system than either OS 10 or iOS is or even like Android or anything else out there it's it's possible no, but it's not there's just there's just there's just nothing there's nothing that's happened in the last 6 7 years you know since since like the release of the iPhone there's nothing that's suggested that it's possible to have one operating system for all devices the evidence we have so far, which, given the grand scheme of things, is still fairly limited. It's again, it's only been the last six, seven years. But the evidence we've seen so far is that having separate operating systems is the right way to go. I I, I think that's right. Although I think you're overstating how much Apple follows that advice. I I I think I think you're understating it. I think some revamped iOS 7-ish icons in Yosemite doesn't necessarily mean that OS 10 and iOS are really all that similar. Well, if you'd like to, you can email your constructive criticism to satya.nadella at microsoft.com. <laughs> yes, indeed. All right, man. Well, I think uh, we're about almost an hour and a half in, so that's uh, probably going to do it. All right. See you uh, when the uh, the cheaters win the Super Bowl. <laughs> the the, the cheatriots. I didn't make I didn't make that up. I can't take credit for that. It was okay. <laughs>